All right, let me, um, last Sunday, if you were not here, I encourage you, pick up the, uh, pick us up on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. I, I saw somebody posted something on Facebook last week, which was really great. One of our friends up in Minnesota says, thank you, Living Stones, for your YouTube channel, because I get to watch the service every week and be a part of your family from long distance. So I encourage you to check that out. In fact, I want to say hi to everybody that's listening in to us uh, right now. From uh, We have our, our friends in the nations of the world and our Roar schools and other places. We just, we're glad that you're able to tune in and listen to us. Also, you can access uh, the sermon uh, uh, on our podcast on our website. We encourage you to check that out as well. That's just at lstones.org. So anyway, that's some, some uh, housekeeping business, but we're grateful for everybody that's listening in. Last Sunday... I was talking about, uh, kicked off a series called Cave Time, and the, the basic thesis is this, every single one of us is going to go through time where we feel like we've been stuck in a cave. Caves are dark places, they're scary places, they're not fun places, nobody would ever choose to go to a cave to hang out. Caves are places that you retreat to when you're in trouble, when you're trying to hide, when you need help, um, when you're on the run. That's where you go. You go to caves. Last week, I gave you some cave principles because I shared with you, when you're going through the difficult seasons of life and we all face them, some of you are going through those right now, the devil has two goals in mind. First of all, he attacks the character of God. He wants to get you to think that God's not good. God's not faithful, God's not for you, and God doesn't care. That's what he, he attacks God's character. Any of you ever had that whisper in your heart when you're going through a tough time that, like, where's God? He doesn't care about me. The other thing that he goes after is your faith. He wants you to stop believing God. He wants you to stop pressing in. He wants you to stop believing the promises of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, he, he goes after you in the pain. In fact, even culturally, isn't it amazing that in our culture today, People that reject God, people that don't even believe in God, as soon as something terrible happens, what's the first thing they do? They start throwing accusations against God. Where's God? Where was God when this happened? God, and you just hear this demonic attack on the very throne of God. That's Satan. He wants wants us to believe that God is not believable, that God is not trustworthy, that God is not somebody we can lean on. And I shared last week, these are some powerful principles. God sees us when we're going through difficulties. How many of you know he's looking at you right now? You cannot hide from his eyes. He sees you. Second thing I shared was that he actually hears you. One of the things people say is, I pray, but I don't don't even think God's listening to me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God absolutely hears your cries, just like a concerned parent hears the cry of their child in the middle of the night. The Bible says God is close. The the devil likes to tell us God's far away. Where's God? Where's God? Where's God? He's closer than your heartbeat away. That's the truth. His presence is near. Get in touch with where he is. He saves us. He protects us. He forgives us and he frees us. Sometimes we said that you feel so low or you feel guilty or you feel ashamed and you're like, you know what, God, God could never forgive me. I'm under this cloud of shame. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God forgives those whose hearts turn to him and whose hearts repent. That's what God says. He's waiting. He's waiting on a slight turn of our heart to come right into your life and to love on you and to be with you. Those were, those were principles I tried to instill in us because when you're in the cave, you need to know how to fight. You also need some practices like, okay, I'm in, a, I'm in a cave time, Pastor. How do I get out of here? That's what I want to talk about this morning. So if you've got your Bible, we're not going to read 1 Samuel 24, 
but you can flip there momentarily because I'm going to be in Psalm 57 today. I'm going to be sharing from the Passion Translation again, which was where I was at last week. But 1 Samuel 24 is the backdrop, at least that's what many theologians believe. It's the backdrop for David writing Psalm 57. In other words, Psalm 57 had a context, and the context of Psalm 57 is 1 Samuel 24. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, because David is on the run again, only this time there are 3,000 special ops forces of King Saul that are assigned to find David and to kill him. Now, I did not serve in the military. I appreciate and have nothing but great honor and respect for all of our veterans in this place, especially those of you that have faced bullets and and, uh, bombs and everything else, uh, real war. My closest experience was when I was a youth pastor and I took our teenagers to play paintball. But I'm just telling you, there was one game they played. I had to pick five guys. We had about 80 teenagers there. I had to pick five people from my team and we had 15 minutes to hide somewhere on, on the, the land. The other, you know, 75 people's job was to find me, because I was the target, and to kill me before time ran out. I'm just telling you, even though I knew it was fake, there's still, there's 75 people looking for me, and they're going to obliterate me with paintballs when they find me. I mean, all of a sudden, I had to go potty. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) And I'm hiding in this deep, dark closet on one of these buildings. There's no doors anywhere in the building, but I'm in a deep, dark closet. And all of a sudden, I hear these guys on my team going, I'm hit, I'm hit, I'm hit. And they're, you know, putting their hands up, and I'm counting out loud. And I realized, I am hiding in a closet with 75 teenagers who are going to be trigger happy in just a moment. And I am going to get obliterated if I don't at least make a daring run, you know, like go out, run into the battle, as they say. And but I'm, here's what I'm bringing this up. That was just 75 teenagers with paintballs, and I could feel there was an emotional response on the inside. Like, I know what fear was. I could hear them getting closer. They had guns. I mean, you know what? I'm, I'm trying to put myself in terms of real military and thinking what that must be like when the enemy is coming. Imagine being outnumbered 3,000 to 1. And David's hiding. He might have had a few men, but still 3,000 of, of Saul's troops trying to kill him. David talks about what that was like in Psalm 57. We're going to get there in just a second. But here's what I want you, want you to think about with me. Um, David had something amazing happen that could have been interpreted the wrong way. I love the realness of the Bible because the Bible says this, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. (laughs) Even kings have to go number two, all right? This king, this king goes into the cave where, where David and his men are hiding and he goes to the bathroom and it's in the Bible. Isn't that amazing? And David, I don't know what, how David was wired. I don't know this personality of David. But imagine the king doing his thing, and David sneaks up behind him and cuts part of the king's robe off. I mean, that sounds pretty like playful to me, all right? He cuts the king's robe off, and, but here's what his men were telling him. 
God has set the king up so we can destroy him. We can kill him. We can rid you of your enemy. He's right there going to the bathroom. God sent him into the very cave, unbeknownst to him. This is the cave where we're hiding. We can take him out right now. Nobody will even know what happened to him. But this is what the Bible says about David. His heart was so convicted. His conscience was so pricked that he actually molested the robe of the king. Not hurt the king, just molested the robe of the king because he realized that it was God who anointed Saul to be king and that for him to touch God's anointed was to violate God's authority and check this out, to take, to take his own destiny in his own hands. And let, let me just share something with you here. If you have an orphan heart, What do I mean by an orphan heart? It's a heart where you don't feel loved by the Father, where you don't feel like God really has your back, where you feel like you've had to always take care of yourself, always provide for yourself. You know, some people go about life and are like, hey, everything I got is because I worked hard for this. I, I wouldn't have anything if, if, if I wouldn't have gone after it, if I wouldn't have done this. If I, they're like self-made people. But at the root of all that is a really big insecurity because at the heart of all that is you're afraid that God will really take care of you and that God will really protect you. So here's what orphans do. They run ahead and they grab for things instead of God's wanting to hand it to us at the right time, but orphans go and grab it because they try to make it happen before the right time. David is being completely mistreated. He, in our eyes, he would have been totally justified in killing the man who was trying to kill him because he wasn't doing anything wrong. But David said to his men, no, 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 no. We are not going to touch the man God has anointed. What David said is, I'm, when it comes time for me to be king, it'll be in God's time, it'll be in God's way, and God's going to have to protect me and his calling on my life now because I am not going to take, I'm not going to take my destiny into my own hands. I'm going to trust the Lord. Now, that's for somebody here this morning because, you know, it's hard to wait. It's hard to trust. It's hard, especially when people are mistreating you. You want to fight back. You want to go after them. It's hard to simply say, you know what? I'm going to trust that my life is in God's hands, and he's going to do with it as he pleases. But how about this? But it's going to turn out for my good and for his glory. That's the promise from Scripture. So turn with me to Psalm 57, because you need to understand that backdrop before you can understand David's heart. And I want to give you this morning four what I call cave practices. In other words, when you're in the cave season of your life, and you, you all will be there, these are four lifestyle choices you need to make in the middle of the cave, okay? Point number one, share your reality with God. Share your reality with God. You know, I find some Christians, they go to one or two extremes. Some Christians share their current reality with everybody but God. You all know people like that? This is where we become victims, we're whining, we're complaining, you know, we're bellyaching, oh, I got it so bad, hey, let me tell you what this person did to me, let me tell you what this person said to me, and, and we, we lift all of our complaints up, we share our reality, but we don't share them with the one person who can change our reality. The second thing we do, which I also think is wrong, is we actually think it's a sign of weakness to actually confess that we're not in a good place. I mean, you know, if you're feeling really, really sick, there's nothing wrong with telling the Lord, God, 
I feel so sick. That is not a bad confession. That is not an unbelief confession. That is simply confessing the reality of your current situation. God, I'm in such pain right now. Uh, the point is, you, you, to, you confess to God the raw reality of what you're going through. Now, you're saying, well, pastor, where are you getting support for that? Are you anybody reading the Psalms besides me? I'd almost like to say that there's barely a psalm you can find in the Bible where David doesn't confess his current reality, and it ain't good. Let me give you an example. Look at Psalm 57 with me. Look with me at verse 4. I am surrounded by these fierce and brutal men. They're like lions. They just want to tear me to shreds. Look at the word he uses next. Why? Why must I continue to live among these, look what he calls them, seething terrorists, breathing out their angry threats and their insults against me? Verse 4. Jump down to verse 6. For they have set a trap for me. Look at the response to fierce, brutal, lion-like, seething terrorists who are insulting David and throwing out threats against his life. Look at David's response. Frantic fear has me overwhelmed. King David, a man after God's own heart, a fierce warrior, was overwhelmed with fear at that moment. And it wasn't the only moment that he experienced fear like that. I was reading in Psalm 55 this week. Psalm 55 verse 5 says this, fear and trembling, David is speaking, fear and trembling overwhelm me. I can't stop shaking. I'm so glad those verses are in the Bible. Have you ever been there before? Have you ever had something hit you with such force? Harvest talked about feeling like getting punched in the stomach when, you, when someone comes up behind you and just cold cocks you and you don't know what hit you. When, when you have an emotional, visceral response to what's going on in your life. There's been seasons of attack against me in my own life when I couldn't sleep, when I had headaches, when, when on the inside I felt like my intestines were shaking, when I felt like my heart on the inside was trembling, when I, didn't, when I felt in a state of total confusion, I felt like I was a, a plane that was in a downward death spiral, and I knew, I knew no way to get out of the downward spiral. I, I was completely disoriented, and I was scared on the inside. My, my hands were trembling. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm glad that David, a mighty man, a man who was not allowed to build God's temple because he had shed so much blood in war with those hands. This was a man's man. This was a champion. This was a, this was a mighty warrior who was overwhelmed with fear to the point where he was shaking uncontrollably. I'm glad David is raw. I'm glad David is real. I'm glad David, you say, well, you know, God knows everything. Well, isn't it amazing? Even though God knows everything, David shows us the pattern that we're still to voice that to God because it's not that God doesn't know it. We're just, we're informing ourselves before God about what's going on. It's okay to say this because here David even had a why. It's okay to say, Lord, I don't understand why we're going through this situation right now. God, I don't understand why there's this challenge. God, I don't understand why so-and-so sick. I don't understand why so-and-so died. I don't understand why this happened or that happened. God, I don't understand why. It is okay to vent your heart before God. Let me just give you some good news. God is not offended by your reality. He's not offended by you telling him what's going on. 
because he is a greater reality than our present reality. We're appealing to a greater reality. God's not upset. God's not bummed out at you. Vent your affection. David honestly stated his condition before God. He used graphic descriptions here. Fierce, brutal, lion-like, seething terrorist. He used graphic descriptions to, de- to define his enemies. And the result was he was overwhelmed with fear. But look what he did next. Point number two. When you, when you share your reality with God, then find refuge in God. Find refuge in God. A refuge is simply a place of shelter, a place of protection from danger and distress. Sometimes it's a physical place. Sometimes it's great to go to your prayer closet. I told you I love to go right behind our logo right here. That's our water baptistry, and right over there on the steps, there's two sets of doors. I lock both sets of doors. I turn off the lights. I kneel at those steps and I pour my heart out to God. You know why I do that? Because I feel like nobody in the world can see me or find me in that place but God Almighty. Find a physical place of refuge, but find a place where you're going to encounter God. What do we mean by a refuge? It's a place that we go to where we find security and we find secrecy. In other words, it's just me and just the Lord. I remember I had a time when I felt like I was in a secure and secret place. I used to, when I was in college, I used to clean buildings at night, and I would go in when everybody was gone, and I would clean off the weight, empty the trash, wipe everything down, and I had my headset on, and I was singing praise music at the top of my lungs. I was awesome, (laughs) and I came around the corner, and there was a lady working overtime, and she just put her head down. I could tell she was holding back the laughter because she could not hear the music like I could. She was just blessed by my voice alone, all right? At that moment, I realized, oh, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I should be all alone, I'm not. Mm." I'm talking about finding those places when you know you can just be yourself before God. You can cry your heart out. You can pour out your guts to God, and uh, and it's just you and him. Uh, It's important to find those places because God, the Bible says, is a refuge. Look at at verse 1, the second half of verse 1. David said, I will hide beneath the shadow of your embrace under the wings of your cherubim until this terrible trouble is past. What is he talking about? There's a number of times in the Bible where David uses the phrase, I'm going to hide under the shadow of your wings. We know God's not a bird. God doesn't have physical wings, but David is using uh, anthropomorphic language. He's describing the arms of God. He's describing the embrace of God. The picture that would come to your mind would be of a mother hen. When, she, when, the, when the little chicks are around her, she puts her wings like this. It protects those little baby bir- birds from the vultures and from whatever other big birds would swoop in there and eat them. When they're under mama's wings, everything's okay. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Finding a place in the presence of God where you feel his arms. It's like in the Holy of Holies under the wings of the cherubim where both the, the golden cherubim had their arms like this with their heads down over the Ark of the Covenant where the blood was shed and God's glory would fill that place between the, the arms of the cherubim. This is the picture. Imagine yourself kneeling before God with giant cherubim putting their arms out over you and you're, you're under the canopy of God. God's supernatural presence. That's what David's talking about here. When he talks about finding refuge, he's he's talking about being sheltered and safe in the Shekinah glory and the manifest presence of God. Psalm 46, verse 1, David says this, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Isn't that a great promise? Always ready to help. Psalm 62, David says, oh, my people, trust in him 
at all times. Pour your heart out to him, for God is our refuge. Notice the order there. This is so important. Trust in him, then pour your heart out. How many of you have figured out with it when your trust in God is low, you're not pouring your heart out to God. You'll pour your heart out to a million other people who cannot really help you, but you won't pour your heart out to God. But when you place your trust in God, you come before him and you begin to pour your heart out. You're taking refuge under the shadow of his wing, out from all the, the hustle and bustle of life. I mean, you know, when David's writing this, he's still in a cave. People are trying to really hurt him, to kill him, to destroy him. He's hiding in a cave. And he's saying, God, you are my refuge. The cave wasn't his refuge. God Almighty was his refuge. The cave was just simply where he was finding God. And look what it says here next. I love this. After we find our refuge in God, point number three, this is important. Make your request to God. Read with me verse one, because this is a powerful picture. Marion and I were rejoicing in this language this week. Because some of you, if you've been around my wife, you know that she, she calls herself a grace hog. A grace hog. What is a grace hog? It's somebody who's constantly coming before God saying, help, help, help. Lord, I need your help. Well, look at verse one. What a beautiful picture. Please, God, David says, show me mercy. Open your grace fountain. Isn't that cool? Open your grace fountain for me, for you are my soul's true shelter. I picture little kids out playing on a hot summer day. If you've ever been to a big city and they have the fountains that shoot the water out of the ground. Imagine as you're before God, as you're crying out to him, you're laying your reality before God, you're under the shadow of his wings. Imagine out of the ground in that dry and thirsty land. Water starts shooting up like fountains around you. A picture that God's grace is surrounding you, that, that the strength that you need is coming to, to your aid at that very moment. That, that's the picture of David here. Open your grace fountains, Lord, for me, for you're my true shelter. And then look what he says next. I love this, verse two. I will cry out to you, the God of the highest heaven. In some translations, it says to the most high God. But how many of you know that word God in the Hebrew? There's lots of ways God refers to himself. Each way when God gives us a name, it's a, it's a picture, it's a snapshot into God's character. The name God chooses here, the name David uses that he, that he approaches is the name El Elyon. The name El Elyon simply means the most high God. And we find El Elyon, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis 14, verses 19 and 20. You can get on your iPad, your iPhone, whatever you got, or you can just look on the screen if you just want to listen. But Genesis 14 is the first place where God reveals himself as El Elyon. The backdrop of this story in Genesis 14 is that Abram's uh, family and, his, and, uh, and Lot, his relative Lot, have been captured by a delegation of kings. We're talking about nine armies, nine different kings that were fighting each other, five against four. And one of these delegations kidnaps Abram's family and, and, uh, and Lot in particular. And what happens in this passage is, Lot, is uh, Abram sends off all the men in his house, 318 men that he had trained personally. And these 318 men go and they fight against this massive army to rescue some family members. And this is where we get introduced to El Elyon. Genesis 14, verse 19. I will cry out to you, I'm sorry, Melchizedek blessed Abraham with this blessing. Blessed be Abram, my God most high, there it is, El Elyon, 
creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, there it is again, who has defeated your enemies for you. And look what Abram did in response to God's provision and God's protection. God's restoring his family to him. Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he had recovered. Some people erroneously say that the principle of tithing came under the law. I'm trying to show you in this passage, the principle of giving a tithe or giving a tenth back to God came from right here, well before the law. This is an opportunity where where Abram recognized God's supernatural provision and blessing in saving his family against unspeakable odds. What was his response? He got all these spoils in addition. He took all the spoils from the enemy. So he is a wealthy man. What was his response? He takes what God blessed him with, and he returned a tenth to the Lord. That's the principle of tithing. We do that every week. That's the heart behind it. We're tithing to the most high God. Does this make sense? We're giving to the most high God, the sovereign God, the God who's king of kings and lord of lords, the God to whom every other pretend God has to report. You know, have you ever had a situation where you, where you say to somebody, well, I'm going to take this to your manager. What is your manager's name? I know you've done this before. I know how you people operate, all right? Who's your manager? Why do you have to go to the manager? Because you're not getting the results that you want. Because you're going to take it to the higher authority. And if you can't get it from that authority, who is your boss? And what do you do? You keep working your way up the food chain because what are you trying to get? You're trying to get justice. How does this work with God? You don't go to pretend gods. You don't go to false gods. You don't go to your friends. You don't go to... You take it to the highest authority in your life. David went to El Elyon, the most high God, the God for whom the buck stops. That's this God. How many of you know that God? How many of you worship that God? How many of you have access to that God? Then go to that God with your problems. Go to that God with the things that are overwhelming you when you're in the cave. Take it to that God. It's the same access that we have this morning, El Elyon. In fact, this is a little side note. Even Satan knows El Elyon. In Isaiah chapter 14, five different times Satan says, I will be like the Most High. I will be like. Five times. Guess what name for God is used there, the Most High? El Elyon. Satan himself recognizes that God is the Most High God. It didn't turn out so well for him when he tried to rebel against that God. This is the mighty God, the God of the highest heaven. And the Bible says this, the mighty God who performs all these wonders for me. The Amplified Version says this, who accomplishes all things on my behalf, for he completes my purpose in his plan. The English Standard Version says, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. I got to encourage your hearts this morning when you're in the cave. I've had situations that happened in my life when I felt mistreated, I felt slandered, I felt abused, I, I felt ripped off, I felt like, you know, something got stolen from you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, and here's the tendency, and I want to encourage you guys. Every one of us has had hardships. I've known people in business that have had people that stole money from them. I've had people that felt like a job was stolen from them, a promotion stolen from them. I've had people feel like your spouse has been stolen from you, uh, like your kids have been stolen from you. Uh, There's all kinds of situations where we feel like we are the victim. Can I just tell you all the truth? The Bible says, not your pastor, the Bible says this, nobody can thwart the purposes of God over your life. 
But pastor, I was supposed to do this, and this came in. No, 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 listen to me. God is not overwhelmed at whatever that injustice was. God can still circumvent what just happened and elevate you to move into your full destiny, the job that you thought was taken from you. Have you ever thought that God maybe has something better? Have you ever thought that the situation where you're like, you know, this, these years of my life were robbed. Maybe it was sexual abuse or physical abuse, and these years were robbed from my life. No, they're not robbed from your life. Your life belongs to God. God is the one who takes even the difficult, painful situations and transforms them. He resurrects dead things. He gives you life and abundant life where you thought this life was taken. God is the God of exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. And listen to me, it is the victim person that sits back and says, woe is me, I'll never get restored what I lost. My future will never be as good as it once was. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You are under the destiny of God. You are under the hand of God. God's purposes will be absolutely fulfilled in your life, period. Listen to me. This ain't a pep talk for the, for the high ground. This is the truth when you're in a stinking cave. Because if you're not secure in who you are, and you're not worshiping El Elyon, and you're not believing that God's going to fulfill his purpose for your life, you'll never get out of that cave. I'm just telling you, you'll die in that cave. You have to believe that whatever has been allowed to happen in your life has been for a purpose. And that God's purpose, in fact, you need to do what David did and declare that God's purposes over your life, every single one of them will come to pass. Some of you need to just remember, he's saying this in a cave. He's writing this in a cave. He is being hunted. He is anointed to be the next king of Israel. He's running for his life. Fear is overwhelming him. But this is what he says. God's going to fulfill his purpose for my life. I'm not going to kill Saul myself. I'm not even going to touch him. I'm going to take my hands off of him because my confidence isn't in my strength or in Saul. My confidence is in this. God will fulfill his purpose for my life, period. Now David's starting to get some stuff going off on the inside. Now David's starting to get his, lift his head a little bit. Now David's starting to transition here. God's going to fulfill his purpose. See, David, David's learning to pray with intensity because of the intensity of the weight that's upon him. And I just want to encourage you, don't waste a good crisis. I'll say it again. Don't waste the cave times in your life. It's when the weight of the world and the weight of the enemy is caving in on you that you truly learn to find God. You truly learn to, to, to find out where that secret place is. Those are precious times. You don't want to stay there, but those are precious times where you learn to meet the Lord and God learns to meet with you and to love on you. Look at what verse 3 says. God, this, David's prophesying here. From heaven, God will send a father's help. God's going to come like a father and he's going to save me. And he's going to trample down those who trample me. What an amazing declaration when you're hiding in a cave from 3,000 you know, special ops troops. God's going to trample all of you down. He's going to come like a father to my aid. And he's going to trample down every enemy of mine. David's talking like this while he's hiding like a wild animal in a cave. How many of you figure this out? You don't give God the praise when the solution comes, you give God the praise before the solution comes. You give God the thanksgiving in the midst of the fire, not after he puts the fire out. 
You start prophesying to your enemy. Pastor, what are you talking about prophesying? I'm talking about smack talk to the devil is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about being a trash talker to the devil. You know how that happens in basketball. After the guy just drains the three in your face and he, and he looks at you while he's running down the court and flashes the three sign or whatever, you know, what's he doing? He's telling you, I just shot a three-pointer in your face and you couldn't stop me, dude. Larry Bird, one of the greatest trash talkers of all time. Larry Bird would tell the other team, here's the play we just called. I'm going to catch the ball over here, and I'm going to shoot a three, and then I'm going to run into the locker room because it's halftime. And then he would do it. <laughs> the, oh, the, his enemy would get so angry because he backed up what he said. Listen, it's not about us backing up what we can do, but you need to trash talk on God's behalf. Dude, you know who you're messing with. This situation's turning around. Have you ever heard of El Elyon? Well, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he can do. Let me tell you how you're going to be trampled. Let me tell you how this situation's going to reverse. Hey, body that's not responding right now, let me tell you about this God that heals and restores, this this God that's going to come and raise me up. You start prophesying to your enemies. You start prophesying over your kids. Well, what are you saying? You're just repeating what God said. You're just repeating the promises of God. David started repeating the promises of God. Even when nothing had changed, he's hiding like a rat in the ground, in a hole in the ground. Fourth thing that David learned to do is rejoice in God's faithfulness. Look at what happens in verse 5. Lord God, Be exalted as you soar throughout the heavens. May your shining glory be seen in the skies. Let it be seen high above all the earth. And look what he says next. My heart, O God, is quiet and confident. This is what I picture. And we cannot get the worship team back up because we're going to worship. I picture David laying on his face in this cave, in the ground, crying out to God. He's shaking like a leaf. He's got his face buried in his hands like Harvest was talking about. He's just crying out to the Lord. And then all of a sudden, he begins to find his refuge in God. The presence of the Lord is with him in that cave. And he starts to sit up a little bit. And he's worshiping now. He's finding refuge in God. He's remembering the promises of God. He's starting now to prophesy over his enemies. And I want you to see what happens next. Because in the, in the midst of being in the presence of God, how many of you know this heart that was shaking like a leaf now finds strength and stability? In fact, the Bible says this, a number of different translations. Uh, David says, my heart is fixed. My heart is steadfast. My heart is firm. My heart is steady. My my heart is constant. He says, now my heart, O God, is quiet and confident. Now I can sing with passion your wonderful praises. What is happening here? He had been knocked off, off of his feet, knocked off of his game by the enemy. He was nervous. He was, he was shaking. But when the presence of God came, his heart began to get stilled. He started finding its, its, its center again. It started getting equilibrium in his heart. And now he starts declaring this. Oh, devil, you might have knocked me off my feet for a while, but my heart has found its feet. It is steadfast. It is fixed on God. It is laser focused on the presence of the Lord. In fact, he's probably looking up figuratively to the Lord at that point. He's saying, God Almighty, this heart is steadfastly fixed on you. Have you ever done that in the midst of your problems? 
where you just declare, I don't know what's going on around me, but this one thing I know, my heart is set on following Jesus Christ. My heart's not going anywhere, God. I'm with you. You start to get your heart into the game. And what comes out when your heart's in the game is passionate worship and praise. David begins to take dominion over himself. How many of you know the first enemy to defeat when you're in one of these battles? The first enemy is you. The first enemy is you. David's not talking about everybody out there. Look what happens in the Bible. Look what it says. David starts taking dominion over himself. He's talking to himself. He says, awake, O my soul, with the music of his splendor song. Arise, my soul, and sing his praises. My worship will awaken dawn itself. The sun's going to come up because I'm singing praises to God. Greeting the daybreak with my songs of light. Verse 9, wherever I go, I will thank you, O my God. Among all the nations, they're going to hear my praise songs to you. What's he praising God about? Look at verse 10. Your love, Lord, is so extravagant. It reaches to the heavens. And Lord, your faithfulness, you're a God who does what you say. Your faithfulness is so astonishing. It stretches to the sky. Lord God, be exalted as you soar throughout the heavens. May your shining glory be shown in the skies. Let it be seen high above the earth. Check this out. David goes from being prostrate before God to encountering God to having his eyes lifted up to God. And then he begins to preach to himself. By this time, he's standing up. And listen, in a dark cave with all of his David's men, David starts saying, I'm going to awaken Mr. Sunshine this morning. I'm going to start singing before the sun even comes up. And in that cave, the praises of God are, are, are resounding to heaven. And here's what I want you to remember with me. Nothing has changed in the physical and the visible at all. Not one circumstance is different, but David is different. He went from being overwhelmed with fear to now thinking about the nations. I'm I'm not only going to survive this, other nations that haven't even heard about God are going to hear my praises. David went from being hiding in a cave and trying to survive, and now he's got a missionary vision of God's global glory. And check this out. In the midst of a dark place, he is so overwhelmed with two things, the loving kindness of God and the fact that God is faithful all the time. Two things you need in the midst of your cave. You need to know God loves you like crazy, and you need to know that God has your back and that he will absolutely be faithful to you. Here's what we're going to do. I want our leadership team to come up. We're going to worship our way out of here this morning. Some of you are in a battle right now. You're in a cave right now. I just gave you four strategies for getting out, pouring your heart out to God, finding the presence of God, rejoicing in God, thanking him for what he's doing, making your requests known to God. What I want to do in the atmosphere that we're going to create here as we leave, this atmosphere of worship, it's an atmosphere where the presence of the Lord is here. Some of you just need to hit your knees and begin crying out to God. You've talked about 
your situation to everybody else, but you need to pour your heart out to God. Invite God into your situation. And then say, Lord Jesus, I'm lifting my eyes to you. Invite the presence of El Elyon into your life. Tell God what you're wanting. Tell God what you're needing. And then begin to thank him in advance for what he's doing. I'm telling you, there's supernatural breakthrough that's going to happen this week in your lives if you put this, these principles into practice. Stand to your feet with me. We sang that song, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We declared that name, Jesus. And I want to sing and declare his name over our church, over our nation, over your lives. Let's leave this place today with passionate rejoicing of God in our hearts, all right? Let's worship him. Jesus, Jesus, oh, oh. Jesus, take a I want to take a comma right here as we're winding down if you're here today and 
and you don't know this kind of God, you don't know Christ in this way, why don't you just to slip out of your seats, come on down and let someone introduce you to the Lord. We just want to pray with you. You might be here today, and maybe you're dealing with depression or despair that's just crushing over your life. God wants to break those chains off of your mind and off of your heart. Maybe you're one of those people that's in a really scary situation right now, and God wants to minister to your deepest fears. It's so great to stand with a brother or sister in Christ and bring our requests to the Lord and bring them in faith and bring them in celebration. Or maybe you're here today, and we all know somebody that's in a cave right now, a dark place, a difficult place. Let's, as we sing this song again and we declare Jesus, I want you to declare Jesus over those situations in your life or family's life or friend's life where you need breakthrough. Well, let's declare his name. Let's declare his power. Let's declare his authority. And let's get the breakthrough that we need. Love him with all your heart. Release your passion to him. Let's sing his name with authority this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.